call it the anyway um, don't forget that it's going to be a lot of wings and things everybody bring something that's exciting it should be a good time should be a good time I don't have any dog in the race so I'll just vote for whatever's making everybody else angry probably I'm just kidding all right, if there are no prayer requests tonight, let's go ahead and get started with prayer. I'll, I'll just bring uh, a couple updates real quick. I got a little update from Betty today that says Bill's biopsy went well, won't get results until next week. Please continue to pray for a good report that it hasn't spread. And she asked me to let you guys know that. Um, how, is, how is your dad doing, Steve? Yeah. Well, good. Good. And Carl shared that his uh, mom starting Bible study again. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. Let's go ahead and say a prayer and then we'll get started with class tonight. God, we thank you for this time that we can just come to you and cast our cares and our burdens on you, Lord. And Father, every day is a new day and sometimes we're on top of the hill and everything's going well for us and sometimes we're in the valley and things are tough. Lord, I just pray for everybody who's going through a tough time right now. Lord, that they look up and see you. Father, and realize that you are the, the rock that we can build our lives on. The rock that we can be anchored to even in storms. Father, we are grateful for the prayer requests that you have answered. Father, there are still many on our prayer list that we are continuing to pray for, waiting, waiting for you to, to Father, answer our prayers. Father, we know that sometimes it takes persistence sometimes. Father, it takes fervor. So, Father, we pray ferv fervently for Mitzi. We pray for Bill. We pray for Lex. For Shad, Carl's mom. Father, we pray for John, Jan Ward has been laying at home with her foot broke for a while now. Father, there's so many for my wife, Amy, and for her dad, who tomorrow is going into either double or triple bypass surgery. Father, we know that you are in control of all things, and we just give these people, their circumstances, Lord, we put them in your hands. We know that um, at times, sometimes the answer to our prayers is not what we want. But God, we're grateful that you are willing to listen and we're grateful that we know that just like Daniel, as our, as our heart goes out to you, Lord, things are already happening. You're, you, you respond to us every time.
I pray we never lose that. I pray we always remember that. In the good times, in the bad times, in the times where prayer is answered in beautiful ways and in times where we don't get what we want. Father, we are again grateful for your love. We're grateful for your compassion. Father, we are people that struggle and you see us through it. Father, we are people that are sinful, but yet, but yet you wash us clean. Father, there are no words that can describe how truly grateful we are. Pray we never take it for granted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Oh, so, today has been a fun day for me. Has it been fun for you? It's been an eventful day. I went from one thing to the next. Barely got everything I needed to get done done today. It's one of those days. Lots of surprises, lots of unexpected things that happened today. So tonight we're continuing our discussion on the rock. I know we, we took a week off, so we were just getting started and we took a week off. So um, I was thinking I would do kind of a recap and I decided, well, we're just going to move and plug right on ahead. Um, so Exodus 20 is where I wanted to start tonight. I want us to remember, I want us to really think about the context of the scripture, where it started um, last week with Jacob and the dream that he had while he was laying on the stone that he eventually um, calls the house of the Lord. So they're doing hand signals. I thought you were doing it to me. Okay. Okay. I was like double zero. I, that must not, I'm, I must not be doing very good. Um, <laughs> But I want us to see the rich context. Today we're kind of going to zoom in on something a little bit. Um, but I want you to see the rich context of this idea of the rock and how early it starts and how simple it was um, to see from the perspective, especially through those who came in contact with these moments in the Old, Test in the Old Testament. But I want to start with X20, Exodus 20, starting in verse 24, says, An altar... Of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of the hewn stone. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So. I threw that last part in um, because I want you to understand that God is asking for an altar that is reachable, that is not exalted, that does not exalt the person that is bringing the offering to it. And in that way, he also says, does not um, expose the person based on what they're dressed in. Um, but I also want to focus on this idea of the hewn stone. What is a hewn stone? It's in the next part, right? 
Go ahead, Chuck. One that you've shaped. One with that you've shaped. With a, with a tool, a chisel, and a hammer used. Okay. So this hewn stone that goes into the altar is shaped with a tool. Not to be shaped. I thought you said shaped. I was going to say, I thought the second part of... Right. So, again, this stone is just one that you would... Yeah, you just pick it up off the ground, right? It's really simple. It's just a stone that's been sat out there and just so happens to be what you're looking for to create the altar. But it's not something that you have created yourself. Right? It's an important concept because I want you to see that right from the beginning, he is talking about something very specific. And, it, and, and one, of the, one of the huge advantages that we have in the time frame that we live in is we can see things in rich context. Right? There, you can see things in a way, you can dissect the word in ways that for, for probably a long time in history, generations could not do. They didn't have complete um, scriptures in every household. Many of us have multiple complete scriptures. If we don't, we have um, infinite amounts on our phones. Um, so we have this opportunity. And then you have the, the tools and the, and the systems in place now to where you can really open this up and see it in a real concise way. And in, in, in some ways, it's as simple as a, a concordance. But in another way, you can see it. All the way from the New Testament, all the way back to the very beginnings of the Old Testament. And there's something about this rock. For some reason, right at the beginning, when God's talking about making him an altar for sacrifice, there's something about this rock that he wants to be very specific. And that specific thing is, he doesn't want you to really touch it. Put it in place. Pick it out of the, pick it out of the, the, the stones that are laying around you. Put it in place. Okay, so this is going to be weird, but I wanted to go right to Daniel only because we've been going through Daniel. So this is way out of order. I like to try to kind of keep things in order. Um, but I want you to see this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And I want you to see the specific thing he says about that, that stone that was going to destroy the statue. In verse 44 of Daniel 2, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Who said that? Who said that they will have a kingdom that will never be destroyed? Jesus, right? Jesus, right? All right. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another, per another people. Let's be very clear. This kingdom does not belong to the world. That's what this is saying. It's not going to be like your other groups of kingdoms in, that have come before that are passed down from person to person to ruler to ruler. This is going to be one ruler who's not going to be of this world. So therefore, his kingdom will remain forever. And it won't be inherited by anyone else. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be a, a, um, a bloodline from the, a physical perspective any longer. And then it says this, it shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall destroy uh, oh, bring, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no 
human hand. So there's a stone that's cut from the mountain by no human hand. So who cut the stone? God cut the stone. There was no tool from a human that was used on this stone, correct? I just want you to see how, how from the very beginning there's this foreshadow. We're going to really build on this moment that Daniel's talking about. In fact, the entire class is built on this moment that Daniel's talking about. And that moment is Jesus. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, uh, what I always took away from this was the kingdom that's, that comes here with the stone, as great as those other kingdoms were, yeah. crumble in front of that kingdom. It's just, they're so inferior to the stone and the kingdom of the stone that there's no comparison. Yeah. I look at it as well in the same way from the human side of things. And I go to David and Goliath. And this, this, these kingdoms that just have, they, as we've, as we've discussed in Daniel, one starts and then the next one comes in and it eats the other and now it's a little bit bigger and then it eats the other and now it's, the, and then it eats, okay? And it's just this one cycle. And in the end of the day, what he's telling Daniel over and over is, these people are going to be against you and your people and, and my temple. They're going to be against it. But it will take one simple stone. To destroy it. Seems big, seems strong. Everybody else is going to be afraid of it. There was only one who called out Goliath, right? But when it comes tumbling down, it's going to be by one stone. So, and yeah, it's going to leave an impression like no other kingdom before. It's going to be incomparable to any other kingdom before because of its greatness, because of its glory. All right. This is um, Hannah, Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer. I can't remember if it's Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer. And it says this, 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Many songs have been made on that statement. And then it says this, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. So again, I just want you to see clearly in the context of scripture that this rock, it's God. It's God. Anybody um, got anything they want to add to that? No? All right, now we're going to have some fun. Judges 6. Gideon. Okay? This is right before Gideon becomes, really steps out and becomes the man of God. This is before he destroys the altar of Baal. This is before he destroys the Asherah pole. And, well, let's read it, I guess. Angel of the Lord comes to him. In verse 19, it says, so Gideon, chapter 6, went into the house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephath 
of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So here's Gideon. This is again to me. This is the moment that that sets Gideon on his path. Now. Who's the rock? Yeah. What consumes the meat? Where does the fire come from? Does it come from the angel of the Lord? It comes from the rock. It comes from the rock. All right. Let's do one more. Go ahead. Consumes the meat and the unleavened cakes. The meat is us. Us and him, unleavened cakes, our sin. Okay. Um, 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 what was that? Uh, uh, talks about unleavened, unleavened bread. Yeah, for the communion. It talks a little bit in the New, New Testament. I just, uh, I just, I just, just listened to a message uh, from uh, Nehemiah, um, and he talked about that. So he showed that picture of Christ, us being in Christ, and Christ in us. Yeah. And that's what that is. So yeah. We have meat there. Meat's so like, yeah. Meat's like tough. After it's been cooked too much, meat's tough. And it's, it's hard to chew. You, know? you can't really chew it the word of God. It's you know, cooked and cooked and cooked and cooked and broken up and reassembled. And after it's been broken up and reassembled so many times, the wisdom of God is revealed. That meat is like nothing. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Let's go to another one. It's also in Judges. This is Samson's birth. This is actually the announcement of Samson's birth. Okay. Now, this is, um, I put this on here, one, because I think there is a debate. And I think when you look at it from this perspective, you might see something maybe even a little, a little bit different. But the debate is, who is the angel of the Lord? And there are many different theories. Probably one of the most popular theories is that the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus in the Old Testament, but it wasn't his time to be revealed as Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And so therefore he's in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. And this is one of the specific passages where people go to to make that argument. Now, my argument has always been Hebrews 1. Jesus was never an angel. But I will say there's something interesting that goes on here. And when you look at it from this context, I think you just might see something a little different. So, Manoah, Samson's father, has a wife that is unnamed, and she's barren, like many of the wives in the Old Testament that were um, people in God's 
bloodline. She gets told by the angel of the Lord she's going to have a son, that this son is going to be a Nazarite from the womb, that she's never to cut his hair, that she shouldn't even drink while she's pregnant because he's a Nazarite from the womb and he's not allowed to drink as a person. And if he does, if he does this, God's going to use him in a mighty way against the Philistines. The problem is Manoah's not there, so they pray and the angel of the Lord comes back. And Manoah's not there again, so his wife runs and gets him, and they come back, and then they have this conversation. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your, of your food. So in other words, you, you, you can't stop me. You can't force me. Um, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it, to the Lord and offer it to the Lord. So hear what he says in, in, in his own words first. And then it says this, for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. Now, one of the things I want you to see is Samson's father is a good man. He actually has his own altar, which he's about to put a sacrifice on. And he wants to know who this is he's talking to so that he can remember him and honor his name going forward. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now you think of some of the prophecies that are involved in some of the names of Jesus and you have wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. And so people see that and they say, he's having an experience with Jesus. But then it says this. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock of the Lord. So before we go any further, my question really is, where do you see Jesus? Is it the angel of the Lord? Or is he the rock of the Lord that the sacrifice has now been put on? Okay. Is it possible this is just an altar and it's made out of rock? It definitely is an altar made out of rock. It definitely is. But the symbolism in the scripture, I think, is much deeper than that. Is there a significance in the versus? So, first of all, the title, the angel of the Lord, is a specific angel. Okay, it's a specific, we can at least say it from this way. It's a specific character, character of spiritual emphasis in the Old Testament. There's um, no doubt about that. All right. But what I want you to see is this. Don't forget that these altars are made of what? Uncut stones. Stones not made and cut by human hands. The same stones, if you will, that represent who, according to Nebuchadnezzar's dream and interpretation by Daniel? Jesus. Jesus. Listen, the altar is the foreshadow of Jesus. 
You can't, when you, when you start, all right, we're going to get further on that. But what I want you to see is this. I want you to see that this, well, let's just, let's finish the reading. To the one who works wonders, the rock of the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the, where'd the flame come from? Yeah, it came from the altar or maybe earlier in the verse, the rock of the Lord. Okay. Well, why is that significant? Let me tell you why it's significant. Because Jesus is the rock. He's not just the rock. He's the cornerstone. He is the thing that everything from beginning to end of scripture and time is built around. And you're either building upon and part of the rock. Or you're not. Or you're not. That's as clear as can be in the scriptures. Now, this is probably one of the most significant scriptures that you will find pertaining to and prophesying about Jesus in the Old Testament. Right here, this one. Right here. Who said this? David said this. Right? King David said this. That's pretty early into Israel's history, is it not? As a kingdom, is that, how early is that? That's your second king. Pretty early into the kingdom that this is being announced. That there is going to come salvation. And that salvation is going to come from the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. Now, in a quarry, when you're digging out the rock... And you might have certain methods to where you're breaking a giant rock into pieces and it's falling into these pieces. And then as the builder, you're coming out and you're looking at the rock and the ones that you think you can use and that you're going to work with and you're going to tool, they go in the pile that you accept. But the ones you reject, they just get thrown into the other pile. So if you start looking at it from that perspective, you can see that from the very beginning, from the first description of the altar to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, through all the scriptures we've read that are, yes, they're just rocks. I get it. They're, they're, they're just rocks just like an idol is just a piece of wood or a, or a um, fabricated piece of gold or whatever you want to say. But the context of the scripture is telling you something very different. And actually, I think it's something very profound and deep once you see it. My argument is not that the angel of, of the Lord is Jesus or not, to be honest. But when I look at it, I see that the rock was Jesus and that which makes the angel of the Lord not Jesus. It was the rock that consumed the offering. Not the angel of the Lord. But then you get to this. Now, let me, let me show you why this is significant. It's the cornerstone. 
It's everything, everything, everything is going to be built around. It's everything that God, from beginning to end, it's everything it's all about. Isaiah said it. Right? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion. What's Zion? What's Jerusalem sitting on? A city on a hill. They call it Mount Zion, right? The rock that's been cut from the mountain. All right. A stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Matthew 21, Jesus himself, he says this. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus himself is saying, hey, what David told you all them years ago is what you're seeing right now standing in front of you. That rock that was rejected by the builders, that's me. That's me. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is giving a defense. And you know what they've accused him of? Well, he's healed somebody. And they're having the argument over where he's getting the power from. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Did that to Jesus too. Well, he's essentially on trial with John. And this is what he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone. So who caused the healing? Jesus. Who is the stone? Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Which has become the cornerstone. All right. Hold on. We're going to get somewhere. But I knew I was going to have to do the scriptures first before we really open it up. And then Peter also, I want to show you the bottom part just to see. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just proclaim it. But when he sat down to write, he made sure it was in there too. Now look what he says, because this is where it starts to get really deep to me. This is where it starts, where you start to see the, um, the, the symbolism when you realize it's not just symbolism. It's something spiritual that's going on. Okay? Something spiritual about this rock. It is a spiritual rock. 1 Peter 2 says, verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, the living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he repeats the scripture. All right, one more. And then we'll go back and we'll take our time for a minute. The first one is Jesus. She asked about the living stones. 
What? What? If he's about the living stones, the living stones are us. Of course. Of course. You yourselves like living stones. Don't miss it, though. The first one is not us. The first one is Jesus. The second one is us. The first living stone rejected by men, but inside of God, chosen and precious. That's the exact scripture. Look down there. Chosen and precious. That's Jesus. And then likewise, just like he was a living stone, we are to be living stones, right? Living stones for what? For a spiritual house. We're a brick in the house of God. That's what it's saying. We're a brick in the house of God. But we're not just bricks. Now we're a holy priesthood and every single one of us is a priest. Every single one of us, if you will, is a minister of God. We are all ambassadors for Christ. And then we talked about this as well. And I want you to see how, again, the scriptures just keep coming back and circling around the things that we've been talking about. But we, we talked about this. Romans 12. This is your spiritual act of worship. Right? Do you see that? Spiritual sacrifices. We're not, we're not called to come over here and sacrifice animals. We're called to come and lay our lives down to who? So when you put yourself on the altar, the altar is Jesus. Okay? All right. Now look at this one, last one. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Of course you are. You're, you're a brick in the house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is Paul. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So that house of God is, of course, by very nature, what? It's not just a regular house. It's the temple of the Lord. Okay, well, why is this significant? Let's go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to here. Why is this significant? How about refining fire of God? How about obedience? How about spiritual maturity? How about growth in the Lord? If you make a brick, is it only made of stone? If you make a brick, is it only made of stone? It's going to have other things in it, right? Some of those things are um, things that if you got the fire hard, hot enough could like burn out of them. Right. I mean, a lot of like ancient bricks were made out of mud and straw and um, some rock. And when does spiritual growth come? 
Yeah, it usually comes with tests, right? When does refinement come? Yeah, and where does the fire come from? Yeah, it comes from the rock. It comes when we are willing ourselves to surrender to God. It's what the Old Testament has been pointing to the whole time with the altar, with the sacrifice, Jesus being the Lamb of God. But it's also the reality that each one of us are called to do the same thing. That's why it says, pick up your cross and carry it and follow him. There's a surrender that comes with that. And in those moments of surrender, you know, we have these, the, the truth is, is we all come, and this is what, I guess what I'm trying to say. We all come as our own brick. We got our own things we're made of. We got our own impurities. We got our own things that are good and precious and, and, and jewels. Maybe you can call them talents. Maybe you can call them gifts that you get from God. Maybe, maybe they're just things you were born with. We all come with our own set of that. And as we, as God takes that, as we surrender it to God, we become one of those priceless, perfect stones that make up his temple, his real temple. Not the, not the example of things to come, even though as glorious as it was, and as precious as it was, and as holy as it was, because God's Spirit did dwell in it, is nothing like what it will be. But in order to get there, in order to get to that place to where God can use us to our fullest, we have to go through times of refinement. We have to go through times of sacrifice. Spiritual sacrifice. And it comes from the rock. What do you think? Am I crazy? I had one more scripture. Can you look at this the same way? You know what's funny about this? This is the same debate kind of as what you see in Judges 13 with is the angel of the Lord Jesus, where is Jesus? That's literally what they're discussing in this moment. The apostles are discussing amongst themselves, who is Jesus? Is he just another prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he someone reincarnated? Who is this guy? And Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? Right? And who's the one that speaks up? Peter, whose name is Cephas. Petra, that's right. Who God changed his name to, Petra. So we got a little pebble that makes a confession of faith to Jesus. 
And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the cornerstone. He's the one who proclaimed it, not just once in, in it, while in her trial, but wrote about it in his book, wrote about it in his letter. <clears throat> now, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the argument is, well, Peter means rock, right? And there's a big argument that would even tell you that Peter is essentially given all this power in a special way that only Peter got. But when you look in the context of scripture and you start to understand this idea of this rock, this, this, this stone, this precious cornerstone, you know exactly what he's saying. That's the rock. That's the foundation. That's the mystery of the universe. Who is Jesus? And that's the question that everybody has to answer. Go ahead, Chuck. Second one is Petra. Sure. Which is bolted. Sure. Big stone, not pebble. Right. So there's a big difference in the two rocks. That's right. Even though we would all agree Peter was extremely important. But he wasn't what what everything was going to be built on. And he knew that. Anybody got anything else they want to add? I'm getting you out 15 minutes early if you say nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Let me add one more thing. Let me add one more thing that I think is interesting as well. Just real quick. You know, when you really start looking at it from a holy and sanctified and a divine plan that starts from, from before creation, just like John says with the word in Jesus. And then you think also about, and I, and I skipped this on purpose because this could lead us on a whole different direction tonight than I wanted to go, but I do want to bring it up right now. The high priest's apparel. On his breastplate, he had 12 stones. Right? Yeah, on the ephod. Those 12 sons represented 12 tribes of Israel. When Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's going against the prophets of Baal and he's let them do their thing for a while, right? I promise I won't take but two more minutes. He lets them do their thing for a while. <coughs> when he goes and steps up, when the time is right and he goes and he steps up, the first thing he does is he rebuilds the altar that was there that had been torn down. The second thing he does is he builds the altar that was about to be consumed by the fire from heaven. When he, when he builds that altar, he takes 12 stones. One for each of the tribes of Israel. And he builds that altar there. And that's the altar that gets soaked and soaked and soaked again and then the moat that's filled and the fire comes down from heaven and absorbs all of it. That, those 12 stones are part of the household of God. 
It's all through the context of Scripture. Just like it was necessary with the 12 tribes and the kingdom and, and the divided kingdom and the falling away and everything that comes with it and the Gentiles being accepted. All of this comes from, and I want to say this as clear as possible, one simple stone. And everybody else in all of that history is just part of what makes up that house that everything is built on, that everything is connected by. It's actually a very beautiful message. And when you consider Israel's tribes and how amazing they were at following God, it's a very hopeful message because they weren't that great at it. But they're still part of the house of God. Okay? All right.